Good morning, Mercy House. A Bible reading this morning is from John 15, from verse 12 to 17. John 15, from verse 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful, beautiful day. Thank you for the blessing of a wonderful fellowship. And thank you because you've assured us that where two or three are guarded in your name, that you're already there in the midst of them. And so we thank you because you're here. And we thank you for everything that we've gone throughout this um, past week. We know that we might have had some heartbreak. We know that there were burdens that maybe we had to carry. We might have had successes, but whatever it is, you have brought us to this very moment. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. And Lord God, we also thank you for the wonderful assurance from your word today that we are your friends. Lord, I ask that you teach us what it means to be a friend to you. And I bring Jimmy, who is going to be teaching and preaching this morning, and I ask that you lift him up and so that everything he says comes from you. That whatever you give him, he's not going to withhold anything, and neither will he add anything to what you have for us this morning. Lord God, we thank you because we know that what we learn won't just be something we'll hear and forget, but something that we'll practice for the rest of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Verse 12. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. We are duty-bound to love one another. Next, we see Jesus calling us friends. Verse 15 says, I have called you friends. Right? He elevates his disciples from this state of servanthood to friendship, a friendship that is bound by obedience and intimacy and also commitment. Third, Jesus chooses us. Verse 16 said, I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit that will last, fruit that remains, fruit that abides. Over the next 15 minutes or so, 20 minutes, we're going to explore these three attributes 
Let's call them attributes of a disciple or follower of Christ, right? First is we're commanded to love, to, to love like Christ, right? Second is we're called to friendship with Jesus Christ. And third is that we're chosen to bear fruit, to bear lasting fruit. Okay. So commanded to Christ-like love, love, that's the first attribute we're going to go through. Recently, we heard a sermon on love, 1 Corinthians 13. That was Alden, right? This passage is famous at weddings, right? My wife read it during hours four years ago, so... Um, I recall memorizing the entire chapter at some point in my teens, right? We were quite familiar with the verse, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. That's 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, uh, verse 4 through 7, right? And I'll just read a few more. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is love according to the Bible in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, in our culture, in today's world, love is often taken to be what it is not, right? How often do we confuse love for mere beauty or charm? Often love is taken to be something that is given to only those who deserve it. Sometimes you think lust is love, but lust only thinks of getting. Meanwhile, love seeks to give, right? So later on in 1 Corinthians 13, we end on this note. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these uh, so-called theological virtues is love. Love surpasses faith and hope. It is the greatest. So what are we called to do with this love? It's a command, number one. In the first verse of our text, verse 12, we read, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Right? Here we see Jesus commanding us to love one another the way he loved us. A command implies someone in authority over another. It demands obedience. A command that goes unheeded or disobeyed is typically considered an act of insubordination, right? Or even rebellion. And ultimately, disobedience of any of God's commandments, as we see by the Israelites in the Old Testament, was sin. Maybe the idea of a command feels like a burden, and sometimes it might feel like that, it's, or maybe it feels like a yoke or something, other obligation that we have to do. But hear this, God's commands are not burdensome. According to his word in 1 John 5, verses 2 to 3, and I read, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments, right? Love and obedience. Verse 3 says, For this is love, the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And, watch this, his commandments are not burdensome right? Matthew eleven thirty, and Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? And earlier in the chapter, verse 4, 15, John 15, 4, Jesus says, we cannot bear fruit without abiding in him. We abide by obeying his commandments. One more, verse 10, also John 15, he says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. So, to abide is to obey, now, how are we commanded to love, right? The way Christ loved. How did he love us, right? It says, love as I have loved you, right? Now, let's go on to verse 13. And it also says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. The greatest display of love is when we lay down our lives. When we sacrifice for our friends, special. But watch this. Christ's love, the Father's love, is infinitely greater than this greater love Jesus is talking about. 
Let's take a look at Romans 5, verses 7 to 8. Romans 5, 7 to 8. And I read ESV. So the Bible's under your seats, for, example, uh, for instance. Sorry if we didn't mention that, right? Romans 5, 8, 7 to 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Even to die for someone who is good is hard. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die, it says. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ laid down his life for us before we became friends. Now get this. Jesus says, greater love has no one than to lay down life for friends. But while we're God's enemies, Christ died, right? Romans 5.10, for if while we're enemies, we're reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? We were enemies when Christ laid down his life. Some kind of love, right? The greatest, the greater than the greater love in verse 13. The Father's love perfected in Christ was the greatest love ever. Jesus laid down his life, not for friends, but for enemies. He died for us while we're still enemies of God. So that's the way we're supposed to love, right? So what does this love do? How did Christ love? Love gives. Let's look at these verses together. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, right? It's a way we walk in it. As Christ loved us and what? Gave himself up for us. Fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Love gives. That was one of, a motto of one of my pastors, Ben Malmin from City Harbor Church. Um, Still pastoring from afar. Thanks, Ben. But John 13, 16, another famous, world-famous scripture, right? God so loved the world that he, what? He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal, that's the gospel, but have eternal life, right there in this verse. God loved, and he, what? He gave. Christ loved, and he gave. Finally, let's look at 1 John 3, 16, another cousin of John 3, 16, less well-known. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's exactly what Jesus is saying there. He laid down his life, and so we ought to also do the same. So this kind of love, the love we're commanded to show, is what? It's sacrificial. It's sacrificial love. How does that look like if we love one another truly to the point where we were willing to lay down our lives? Let's just ponder that for a second, right? It's hard. It's hard. Sacrificial love. Who would be first in line to give up their life for even someone righteous? That's what the Bible says. It's so hard. We can't even do that, right? Normally, we love our lives, don't we? We don't like to inconvenience ourselves, do we, right? Who would be first in line to give up their life, right? Well, if, I, if you ask me to give up lunch for a day or two to feed the hungry, yeah, sure. Maybe some of us would do that, right? Sign me up. Or give up my daily latte or something to raise money for the, a good cause. Sure, that's also not too hard, right? But as it gets harder, as we have to make more sacrifice, it gets tough, right? Maybe you're asked to give up all the cash on hand to save someone's life, or, or you know, maybe there was an emergency and someone needed to ride to the hospital. Even though you had plans, it might be inconvenient, but you might you know, consider doing it. But to give up our lives for someone, even if that person was a friend, like dying in their place, that's a tall order. It's a big ask. I'm not sure how we would respond, right? But yet we see examples of sacrificial acts around us. 
Several brave folks gave their lives to save others during the 9-11 tragedy, right? First responders, co-workers, colleagues, soldiers, another example, people who selflessly put their, their lives on the line to defend the country and the cause. In the summer of 1941, a man named Maximilian Kolbe, a Polish priest, was imprisoned during the World War II, and he was transferred to the infamous Auschwitz concentration camp. A few months later, one prisoner escaped, and 10 men were chosen to starve to death as punishment. That was a rule here at Auschwitz, right? So one of the 10 that were chosen to die, a man named Francis Czech, Gajoni Czech, bitterly bemoaned his fate when he was selected. He was crying, my wife, my children. And hearing this, the, rev, uh, the father, the priest, Kobe, volunteered to take his place. And his offer was accepted. And he died two weeks later at the age of 47. So this man literally gave his life to die in the place of a fellow prisoner. The man who survived, who, whose life was saved, he was liberated at the end of the war in 1945. And from that point onward until his death at the age of 93, he made it his life mission to tell the story of how this man, Father Kobe, saved his life or gave up his life that he might be saved. Isn't that an amazing picture of how Jesus loved us to the point of death? That's the kind of love we're commanded to show, the love we're commanded to do. Now, what does this love look like, right? 1 John 3.18 by the way, if, you know, in this series, I would encourage you to read 1 John. It's just such a great parallel to, to all the things just saying here about love. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is action, friends. It's not talk, not words, but deeds and truth. Remember, love gives, right? But what? What does love give? I'm just going to give a few examples here. It's not an exhaustive list. But just I'll list a few of what the Bible tells us, the hallmarks of a believer, what we do when we love each other, right? It's a command. So I'm going to list five or six or seven things. <laughs> love gives. First one, food. Underrated, right? But it's a key part of hospitality. I mean, we're, in this whole upper room discourse, it started with a meal, right? Broke his body, my body, my, my blood. It's Romans 12:20 says, "If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Is thirsty, give him water to drink." Right? How many problems would we solve just by inviting a friend or a neighbor to a meal, or even an enemy or someone you don't like? Right? Number two, service, using our gifts and talents. First Peter 4:10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now I know it's hard. It's tricky. You don't always get the recognition or whatever, but we're called to do this. Third, relief, caring for the sick, visiting those in prison, praying for the persecuted, right? You may not be able to go, but we can pray. Good Samaritan, remember that, that story, right? The Levite, the priest, walked by, this man left for dead, but Jesus, I mean, the, this good Samaritan, the man who was despised from a group that was looked down upon was the only one who gave him the care, right? Fourth, good works. Galatians 6.10 says, as often as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those in the household of faith. I'm going to come back to this later, but as often as we have it. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, let your light shine, right? Many of us may know this verse, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Right? It's not for show, it's for God's glory. And let's not wait for perfect conditions, right? It says as often as we have the opportunity, do it. Inaction, delay can be costly. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, Come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you, right? How often do we do that? 
Three more. Honor. Not often talked about, right? Romans, 12, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, outdo. Outdo. It's not a competition, but it does say outdo, right? Outdo one another in showing honor, right? In fact, I would encourage you to read Romans 12, 9 to 21. There's just a lot of different, um, uh, just amazing verses about how, what it means to love. And honor typically goes hand in hand with humility, right? Philippians 2, 3, esteem others better than yourselves. In 1 Thessalonians, we, we read out how to esteem um, in love those who, who preach over us and, and um, watch over us. Having the same mind as Christ, right? And God exalted Jesus after doing all this. Two more. Love gives, right? What does it give? Hospitality, right? Also tied to food, very close. 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, Hebrews 13, 3 says, Do not neglect to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. Right? It still works today. It still happens. People are still entertaining angels. And I was, you know, talking to uh, Pastor Tom about this actually the other week. You know, it was reminding me that there was a time when Elijah, you know, God actually sent an angel to make food for Elijah just to give him strength to go through the journey, Right? This is how much God really um, wants us to practice this. It's a hallmark of the kingdom. The last one I want to talk about is forgiveness. It's an important attribute of this love that we were asked to show. Love not only gives, it also forgives. Often we forget to do this, right? 1 Peter 4, 8. It's another great chapter, 1 Peter 4, 8. You can save it for later. I read, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Right? In KJV it says, have fervent charity. Since love covers a multitude of sins. What does it mean by cover a multitude? Right? That's forgiveness. Multitudes of sins. That same Peter was the one who asked Jesus, how often my brother sinned against me and I forgive him? Seven times? That's all he wanted, right? Just seven. Hey, Jesus was like, no. Seventy-seven. In fact, some versions say 70 times seven. Right? As often as possible. If we do not forgive others, our Father will not forgive us. That's what the Bible says in Matthew 6, 14. And there's so many other verses. Maybe you see them in the notes. I'm not going to say them all now. I'm just going to end this part of commandment, the commandment to love like Christ with this verse. Jesus said in John 13, 35, 34 and 35, actually, I'll read both verses. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's what we're talking about right now. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, hear this part, verse 35. By this, all people, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is the biggest testimony. That's the biggest witness we can have to Jesus, our love for each other as Christians. That's how we make God's love visible to a dying world that doesn't know God, that has not seen God. That's how they see God through us. Now, hear this. Has anyone ever felt like they were the only Christians when they moved into a new neighborhood? How many of you have felt like that? Oh, you worked, got into a new job, you felt, I'm the only Christian in my office, oh my gosh, like, I'm the only Christian in my school. I'm the only Christian in, you know, why do we feel this way? Right? It's hard to know where the Christians are. Where are we? We're so quiet. We're so quiet. Right? The old hymn says, they will know we are Christians by our love. So if you're Christians, children of God, redeemed by the Lamb, we who should be ambassadors of Christ, displaying the love of Christ, when people think of love, when people think of love, 
Those who love well, those who do it well consistently. Christians should be top on that list, right? We should be the first to come to mind, right? Why do we live it to the rest of the world to, to celebrate, to host parties, to do, you know, why, why? Hospitality, food, celebration, these are things that God commands. But we cannot do it ourselves, right? We need the Holy Spirit. Again, like I said before, nothing here will happen without abiding, right? We abide in Christ through the Holy Spirit in us, and that's what he commands us to do, to love one another as Christ loved us. Now, number two, we're called to friendship with Christ. That's verses 14 and 15. I'm going to read John 15, 14 to 15. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So we see here Jesus uncovering a new dimension of his relationship to his disciples. And also to us, right? This applies to us today. And this dimension is friendship, right? Now, when we put our faith in Christ... We become children of God. That's John 1, 12, right? We are adopted into God's family. So the, we are already sons and daughters of God. That's, that's a well-established relationship. That's a, another, uh, I would say, the primary dimension of a relationship, right? Romans 8, 17 says we are co-heirs with Christ. In fact, Jesus in the Gospels said that, you know, if we do his will, we're his brother and his sister and so on, right? Co-heirs with Christ. And, and also, the disciples are familiar with the servanthood dynamic, right? I mean, think of all the parables Jesus talked about, right? The kingdom of heaven is like this. A master goes out as servants, right? So we're servants of Christ, right? In John 13, 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet after they ate the, you know, the Passover. He said, he called me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for so I am. He's their Lord, their master, and they served him, right? None of this changes, by the way, Right? And if you read the New Testament, the apostles, Peter, James, all of them, they always said, I, Paul, a servant of Christ, right? They unfailingly refer to themselves as servants of Christ. But Jesus peels off a layer to reveal a new dynamic, and that is one of friendship. One of friendship. Now, who is man's best friend? I'm going to ask the question, right? So, in, in, you know, in our culture, or in, the, in the world today, when we say, oh, man's best friend, right? dogs, right? That's what we'll say, right? <laughs> Dogs, right? It's commonly believed that this phrase, man's best friend, was first coined by King Frederick of Prussia in 1789. And he wrote, the only absolute and best friend that a man has in this selfish world, and it is selfish, the only one that will not betray or deny him is his dog, right? (laughs) And there's a reason for this. Dogs are devoted, they're loyal, they just love you. I mean, I haven't owned a dog yet, but I've had the honor of dog sitting several pets of my friends. And, you know, some describe the, their love as unconditional. That's what people say about dogs, like, unconditionally love you. Right? They come home, you come home, oh my gosh, you know, they do like, as if they've never seen you in like years, always excited, you know. And we tell them, sit, sit, Jack, stay, heal, roll over. We teach them all sorts of tricks, right? <laughs> and we teach them to do these things on command. And we expect those dogs to obey especially when they're good, right? A good dog, right? A good dog, you know, we give them re- positive reinforcement. Now, many dogs also want to be petted, held, cuddled. They just want to be with you, right? They just want to be with you. They want to follow you to the bathroom, follow you, know, they just want to be everywhere you go. A man's best friend, right? And, you know, there's some reason for this. But I would argue that Jesus Christ is the truest and best friend 
any man or woman could ever have. He's the faithful friend that would leave 99 to find the missing one. Even the dogs we love so much, sometimes they mess up. They eat your shoes, you know. They, you know, they eat stuff in the kitchen they're not supposed to eat and get sick. But Jesus is faithful, right? I, remember, I was writing the sermons, remembering this song by Audio Adrenaline from the early 2000s. You're never too far down. It's called Leaving 99. I promise you'll be found. I'll reach into the mud, the Mary clay, proceed you to the end like a faithful friend. Nothing in this world can keep me away. That's Jesus. Right? So this friendship Jesus is calling us to is marked by three aspect, aspects. Obedience, number one. Intimacy, number two. And commitment. Right? So first, we've learned commanded to love like Christ. Second is we're called to friendship. And this friendship is marked by obedience, intimacy, and commitment. Why obedience? Right? He says, you are my friends if, if you do what I command. So we tend to think of friends as those we enjoy spending time with, right? Like people we hang out with, my, my guys, my buddies, my, you know. How often do we consider a friend or someone to obey, however? Right? Sometimes that's, that, that could be a boss, right? And even those we struggle to obey them, right? But yes, there are friends we highly respect, friends we trust, right? Friends who walk with the Lord, friends who are examples of faith, friends that may exhort us or advise or even ask us to do things, right? They will tell you, oh, can you, you know, watch over my house when I'm away? Or they may request you or suggest something or even ask you to do something. And depending on the level of trust or commitment of the relationship, um, you know, friends who love us, friends who demonstrate commitment, we do those things, right? In a sense, we obey, you know, the friends we trust. But even the truest, best of friends may fail us. David wrote in the Psalm, Psalm 41, verse 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread right, has lifted his heel against me. I mean, after Jesus, honestly, any, you know, we were going through like First Samuel recently at home in our, you know, David is one of the other people in the Bible who, who honestly has experienced a lot of betrayal. I mean, his counselor, Ahithophel, betrayed him. His own sons, Absalom, Adonijah, right, they conspired to kill him. I mean, so this, this man had known, known betrayal. But Jesus is faithful to the end. He's faithful when we're not. He's the perfect friend. And therefore, he's worthy of our obedience. Verse 14 of today's text, John 14, uh, 15, verse 14 says, You are my friends if... That's the key word there. You are my friends if, right? If you do what I command you. So this friendship Jesus is talking about is not a friendship of equals, really. It's not... We're not pals, really, in that sense. It's condition and obedience, so if you do not obey, you're not his friend. I mean, that's just the logic here, right? Now, I think of someone in the Bible who was described as a friend of God. And I'm going to read two quick verses. First Chronicles 20, uh, 20 verse 7 says, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Right? So Abraham is a friend of God. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, But you, Israel, my servant... Jacob, whom I, whom I have chosen. Right? So you see these key words in our text today. Servant and chosen. The same person, Israel, Jacob, same thing. The offspring of Abraham, my friend. Right? Why was Abraham considered a friend of God? Right? He obeyed. He obeyed. God asked him to sacrifice this promised child, this son they'd been waiting for for decades. They, they made some mistakes by trying to, you know, go ahead of God, but, you know, this child came, right? 
with Sarah, right? The promised child Isaac. And God is saying, man, take this son of yours and burn him up as a sacrifice. Strange, hard, difficult. That's another sermon for another day. But Abraham obeyed. He obeyed in spite of the difficulty. And when we obey, we become friends with Christ. That's it. We grow in love with him. Proverbs has a lot to say about friends. I encourage you to read that book. But I'll highlight one verse here, and another shortly. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. That's the kind of friend who Jesus is. The second thing about friendship that Jesus is calling us to with him is intimacy, Right? As friends, we are no longer in the dark. He reveals his will to us. Verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now I'm going to give you a little example here from geopolitics for those who follow you. But some of you may recall last year of a new announcement of a submarine pact between Australia and the U.S. and the U.K. It was nicknamed AUKUS, right? Apparently, France had been in discussions with Australia for a similar deal. France was supposed to provide 12 diesel-electric subs, but essentially, Australia went behind their back and you know, made a deal with the U.S. and the U.K. to do like eight nuclear subs. Those are better, obviously. But, so French officials were furious, right? Because they did not receive an earlier notice. They only learned of this a few hours before it was made public, right? And they were like, oh gosh, I thought we were friends, right? They were angry, they were blindsided, they were humiliated, right? The French ambassador to Australia said, what makes me sad is that we thought we were mates, right? French, <laughs> France and Australia, and we were stabbed in the back. I mean, these are the words of an official. They were so mad. Another example, how would you feel when someone you consider a friend or a close friend visits your city or town? They come to Amherst, they don't let you know. And then you find out on Facebook, oh my gosh, Brian was here, they didn't tell me, they didn't, you know, and you feel, you know, even if you're not free to meet them, you feel ignored, you feel left out, you feel like, you thought, oh, this was my friend, and they didn't tell me they were visiting. So even in the world, right, friends like to know what their friends are up to. This is just true, we just want to be in the know, we want to be clued in, right? People talk about FOMO, fear of missing out, and so on. But in the same way, this friendship Jesus is calling us to is, I'm going to tell you things, right? All that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus reveals the heart of the Father to us. And Psalm, four, um, Psalm 25, verse 14 actually supports this. You know, it says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. Right. Who else was a friend of God in the Bible? Moses, right? Exodus 33, 11. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. I mean, no one in that camp could approach God, the cloud, right? And Moses was the only one, and he, he would go, and everyone else would go to their tent, and Moses would stay with God face to face like a friend. Special, special relationship, right? Imagine if you're friends with a great person, right? Maybe the president shows up, you know, people are running away and like spreading the red carpet and all that, but you're a friend, so you just walk up, hey, you know, shake his hand, you whisper to the ear, and like you feel cool, you're just calm, everyone is, you know, going crazy, but you, you're a friend of this great person, right? That's the friendship Jesus is calling us, the master of the universe, Lord of all creation. Calls you friend. Think about that for a minute. Calls you friend. Intimacy, right? Friends are intimate. Friends spend time with one another, right? Last thing about friendship, commitment, right? Friendship with Christ implies commitment to him. 
And we're all familiar with this idea of commitment, right? But in the so-called information age, the age we're in right now, friendship has often been reduced to clicks on the screen, scrolling through pictures, liking posts. Nothing wrong with that really, right? But sometimes if that takes the place of real conversations, right, we're losing out on some things. So a big part of this social media friendship is this idea of following, right? Like, we follow those we like, and then we unfollow those we don't. And then sometimes we may un unfollow someone, right, if we kind of make up our issues, right? But friendship with Jesus is not like that. It's not fickle. It means no turning back, right? The old song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I think of the story of Ruth, an amazing picture of committed friendship. She did not leave her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi had lost her husband, lost her two sons. It would have been easier for her to, she said, go back and go find new husbands, go to your home country from, to Moab, that's where they were from. But Ruth said, Ruth 1.16 and I read, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts me from you. What a commitment. Such loyalty. Right? Ruth was not just willing to die, which would have been hard enough, but she was willing to live with Naomi, like a lifelong commitment. In a way, this is kind of hard too. It's own kind of hard. You know, dying is also hard, but this is just in the grind long term for life, right? And that's what we're called to do daily living for Christ, growing in intimacy with Him, obeying Him. Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, right? Even in this life, those people will think our friends, when things get hard, that's how you know who your real friends are, right? right? When things get really hard, no one shows up, everyone dumps you or deserts you. But it says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24, Jesus is that friend. Jesus is that friend. So he calls us to share our hearts with him, you know, as he shares God's heart with us through his word, right? That's his word, the Bible. So the more we read the word, in the word, studying, meditating, that's how we grow in this intimacy with Christ. That's how we grow in our friendship with him. So, and also with the help of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word, right? And so I pray we'll all grow in this friendship with Christ. The last thing I want to talk about, the third attribute is chosenness, right? Chosen for fruitfulness. That's the last, verse 16, right? You did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, right? Go and bear fruit that your fruit abides, your fruit remains, it stays, lasting fruit. So three things here. Yeah, I love the number three, right? Chosen, chosen. We're chosen for fruitfulness, right? It's common to think that we choose our friends in the way we choose an ice cream flavor or item on the food, you know, a menu in a restaurant. But Jesus, Jesus, the ultimate friend, states that he chose us. Don't get the idea wrong. We did not choose him. The language in 1 John 4.10 mirrors this, right? It says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, right? So yeah, we come to faith, we believe in Christ, but it's truly God the Father that draws us to himself, right? Ephesians 1, we read that we are chosen to be holy and blameless, right? Chosen indicates selection, set apart for a specific 
purpose. I chose you, right? Isaiah 49, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off, right? So we choose things for a reason. And the fact that we are chosen by Christ, this should encourage us. I'm chosen, not forgotten. I'm not cast off. In the highest grossing movie this year, Top Gun, right? I don't know if you, for those who have not seen, maybe, you know, I'll maybe block ears for a few seconds. But in, in spite of the animosity between the captain, Maverick, and his late friend's son, they had some history there. His name was Rooster, right? Maverick still chooses Rooster to be his wingman for the mission. I mean, there are a lot of emotional touching moments in that movie, but that moment, this is a highly coveted spot. And these guys had their issues, but he chose him, right? That's the same way, like, we were enemies of Christ and God chose us. And we saw how that really changed Rooster, right? So friends, we have a purpose in life. God has a plan for us. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? That's love, which God prepared beforehand. There was a premeditation to this, that we should walk in them. God is not just making it up on the fly, right? He's not improvising. He's not, ex- he's not extemporaneous. I mean, he has it all planned out, friends. So if you're in Christ, you are chosen. If you're not in Christ, you can become one of the chosen too by believing in Jesus and putting your trust in him. Two more things and we're going to answer. Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. What are we chosen to do? You're not just chosen to just be there, do nothing. You're chosen to go and bear fruit. Right? I, I, mean, I just have to refund this guys again. Audio, audio A, that same worldwide album. Go and be nothing less than you, right? You know, Go do what you're called to do. So I, the gospel story, I have to talk about this a bit. It begins and ends with fruit. Genesis 1, we read. I'm just going to read very quickly a few verses. 11, God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. Just hold those words in your, in your minds for a second. And it was so right? And God saw that it was good. Now, let's move on to 22. God blessed them. These are not even human beings yet, just animals. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply the earth. And then for man and woman, Adam and Eve, 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? Fill the earth and subdue it. Skip on to the end of 29. It says, every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. So from these verses, we see that fruit is associated with three things, or three themes, if you will. The first is identification, right? We see the phrase, each according to its kind. Jesus also says, by their fruit, you shall know them, right? We go into the store, we look at fruit. I mean, we see the fruit because of how it looks. That's how we know the fruit. The second thing is multiplication. Be fruitful, multiply, right? So many verses in the Bible talk about multiplication. Fruitfulness, increase, multiplication. That comes with fruit. The third thing is nourishment said, you know, you shall have them for food. When the enemy wanted to tempt Adam and Eve, he said, you know, they saw the food and it was good for food, right? Acts 14, Paul was reasoning with the Greeks and said, you know, he satisfied your heart with food and gladness, right? Fruitful seasons. So fruit identifies, it multiplies, and nourishes. And the gospel story also ends with fruit, by the way. Revelation 22, right? In the, in the, describing the New Jerusalem, verse 2 says, through the middle of the street of the city, there was a tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Right? And that was the tree that Adam and Eve missed. It was right there in the Garden of Eden. Right? 
But if you read on in, in chapter 22, the, you know, the last book of the Bible, chapter 22, verse 14, it says, those who do his commands have the right to eat of the tree of life. That's redemption. That's redemption. And so, just a few more thoughts to close this. What are fruit exactly, right? We talked about fruit of the Spirit last week, Galatians 5.22. They mean also good works, right? Also means our impact or influence for the kingdom. So it says fruit that remains, fruit that lasts, right? Have you eagerly cut into an orange only to find that it was dry? Or you spent some time cutting and prepping some fruit and you find that it wasn't ripe? Or you planted a blueberry bush and, you know, the birds and squirrels came by before you were able to harvest and just decimated the crop, right? So we spend a lot of energy and time making fruit last. And what are the characteristics of lasting fruit? It has a long shelf life, right? It remains on the vine in good shape for harvest. It returns at the appropriate season. Tastes good, looks good, nourishes, contains seed to replenish or procreate. So that's what lasting fruit looks like. Things that last, work that stands the test of time. Um, a couple more things. Jeremiah 17, it says, Blessed is a man who trusts in God. He's like a tree planted by water, does not, you know, does not fear when heat comes, is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So only by trusting in God and not in our own strength can we bear lasting fruit, by abiding in Christ. And the last thing it says, there's a promise there. It says, whatever you ask in my name, he will give it to you, right? That's a promise. God answers our prayers when we abide in him. Last week we read John 15, 7, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, right? But this only happens when we abide. It's not just anything we wish for, right? I mean, James 4, 3 says we ask and do not receive because we ask wrongly, right? It has to be in accordance, in line with God's will. 1 John 5, 14, a few more verses and we're almost done. This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? And he says, ask whatever in my name. Have you ever been in a situation where someone refers you to someone in this, or a superior and they say, oh, tell them, you know, so-and-so sent you, right? You're going in someone's name, right? Joe sent you or whatever. You know, it's not just, but this name is not just any ordinary name. This is the name that is exalted above all the names, the name at which every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess that the bearer of this name, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the I am, that he alone is Lord. That's the name we come in. I remember my wife and I, Tola and I, were driving from Chicago to Worcester, Ohio for a graduation. We couldn't figure out how to get the easy pass from the, uh, the rental. And so we got to the toll booth and we're like, what do we do? And the lady just said, when you get to the next toll booth, toll booth tell them Maria, you know, give you a public ticket. I'm like, what? Like, Maria, like, you know, they just said, well, tell them. She told you, you know, that's, you ask in someone's name. It's a, in, you know, that name has power because, like, how would we know she was Maria to begin with, right? So the asking that we're doing here can only happen when we have a relationship. It's not just, you know, God is not a magician. He's not a magic one. We don't just say some magic words, right? I don't know if you remember the story of the seven sons of Sceva in Acts 19. They went to cast out an evil spirit in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, and the spirit answered, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? And those men were beaten. They were wounded, right? So if we're not abiding in the vine, then we will ask wrongly and we will not receive. We might even get, you know, harmed because of that. So when we come with a request in someone's name, right, we're showing proof that this action, we have approval from the authority. For us, that's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is our seal of redemption, right? And 
where does all this asking happen? It happens in prayer. So prayer is really kind of like the foundation of this. We grow in intimacy. We ask in the place of prayer. We make requests. God aligns our desires with his will. Sometimes it doesn't happen the way we want. It doesn't happen when we want. Sometimes it doesn't even happen. We've all been there. But God is a good father. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. Keep persistent. Keep persevering. God wants us in the place of prayer to grow in our faith, in our dependence on Him, to trust Him more. The God of the universe is inviting us into this intimate space. Um, so I'm going to conclude right now. Washington can start coming up. Um, so last verse in today's text, Jesus again says, These things I command you, that you will love one another. Perfection. Right? Three attributes again. I'm going to recap of a disciple follower of Christ, commanded, called, chosen. Love gives like Christ gave. As friends with Christ, we obey, we are intimate, we are committed. And then we are chosen and appointed to bear fruit. The fruit that nourishes, that multiplies, that identifies with Christ. And we have the promise of answered prayer. So, friends, what are we going to do with what we've heard? Right? Jesus says in Matthew 7, if you hear these words and don't do them, you're going to be like the man who builds on the rock. And do them like a man who builds on the, on the rock. Rain falls, floods come, winds blow, but the house doesn't fall, stands firm. But if you hear these words and don't do them, it's like building on the sand. Rain you know, falls, floods come, and, and the house falls. So we're building something here, folks. Every action, every inaction, every thought, every philosophy, idea, we embrace friendships, relationships, work, vocation, pursuits, hobbies, habits. We're building something. What are we building on? It doesn't matter how sophisticated, how modern, how fashionable, how impressive the structure is. If it's on shaky ground, it will not stand. When we hear God's words and instructions and do not put them into action, it's like adding another brick to an unstable house. In the same way, fruit that does not last can be likened to building on shaky ground. What we do won't stand the test of time. Is our faith built to last? Are we abiding in the sun? Are you bearing lasting fruit? Now, Jesus is not just calling us to be philanthropists, right? You can do all these things sometimes, right, and, and you know, give and, and so on, right? It's not, it's not asking for external stuff, right? Apart from the vine outside of Christ, our acts alone do not save us. Faith does, right? Grace alone, right? But without works, faith is dead. All these actions that we just spoke about must flow from the true vine through the Spirit of God. It's our divine mandate to love one another. It's who we are as Christians. And that's how the world will know that we are followers or disciples of Christ. So moments before Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, they had shared the Passover meal, which God had commanded the Israelites to do in remembrance of their great deliverance during the final plague of death in God's amazing plan to rescue his people from slavery. But this was not just a regular Passover meal. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right? In the same way, he also took the cup, right? After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, which we're going to do in a few moments, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christ's death, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate act of love and proof of his friendship. Right? So as we enter into a time of communion, I want you to reflect on these things. Um, I'm going to give us instructions on how we're going to do this um, shortly. Um, Commanded to love, called to friendship, chosen to bear fruit. Where is the Lord nudging your heart today? First, I want to ask, are you in the vine? Some of you may not know Jesus. Or you may think you know him, but does he know you? Right? says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Intimacy. Right? Will you believe in the saving power of Jesus today? If you have not done this yet, I invite you to do so during this time. I'm going to pray for us shortly. Right? For those of us in Christ who know Jesus and consider ourselves to be followers of Christ, is there any area you need to grow in love in others this season of your life? Is there anywhere, anywhere the Spirit is asking you to grow in intimacy and obedience? Maybe it's just for, you, maybe for some of us, it's reading God's Word, not just once or twice a week, but daily study and meditation. Maybe there's a sin we need to repent of. Or where, where is God asking you to grow in bearing fruit, right? So let's think about these things, right? And, and I'm going to pray for us, and, and then I'm going to... Um, the ushers will come forward to, to um, uh, pass the elements. So the way we do it here is that we line up in the middle aisles and, um, and uh, you know, we come forward and we go on the sides. So the Lord's Supper, the, Lord's Supper, the communion rather, is reserved for those who identify with Christ and have put their faith in Him, right? Um, so if you haven't done so, if you haven't received Christ as Lord, we ask that you abstain and reflect on His call and invitation, right? And, and I, we'll have people standing ready to pray with you at the back of the aisles, um, people in the prayer team, um, Pastor Tommy, Jake, and I'm also around here too. Feel free to turn to your neighbor as well and ask them to pray with you as well if you want. Um, so we're going to pray and then um, we'll, have, uh, we'll take communion. Heavenly Father God, thank you so much um, for this morning, this time. Uh, Lord, we know that <laughs> You love us so much, Lord, and you discipline those you love, Lord. You're the divine gardener. You pray in us so that we can be more productive, more fruitful. I pray right now for those who are hearing this, don't know you. Maybe we want to start a relationship with you. Um, yes. And just you can just even right there in your seat right now, you can just you know, pray to the Lord. He hears you. The Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So Jesus, I, you can just say these words. Jesus, I put my trust in you. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. And, and, and in, in that prayer of faith, salvation has happened. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait. For those of us who are right here right now, we want to rededicate our lives. We want to recommit to serving, to giving, to loving to friendship, to intimacy. God is here and he wants to do work in you. And so, Lord, I pray for these ones, Lord. Help us, O oh God, to be obedient to you. Help us, Lord, to grow in bearing fruit, loving others, growing in friendship with Christ. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.